Have you ever been challenged? I mean, like somebody who just really challenged you to do better. Um, when I was a kid, I, I, we grew up, I grew up in, in a little place called Madisonville, Kentucky uh, for the first three years of elementary. My father was a pastor, so I actually lived in like seven or eight states uh, during my lifetime. And, uh, but what I remember about going to school was that we could walk and we could, we could walk to the Hall Street Elementary School in Madisonville, Kentucky. And I had a bunch of friends who lived in our neighborhood. And through the summer, we did all kinds of stuff. We rode bikes together. We, um, we you know, played in the creek together. Uh, we built tree houses, all kinds of things. And, and one of my friend's name was Ricky. And Ricky was a nice guy, but he was an, a year or two older than me. He had more experience, right? And so um, when we, we go to school, we're walking to school and walking back. And at the first six weeks, we got our report card. It was my first report card. And, and I remember coming home first grade with the report card with Ricky and, um, and showing it to my mom and saying, Mom, Ricky says I did really, really good. I mean, really, really good. And my mother looked at my report card and there were some B's and an A and a couple of C's and a D. And my mom was like, a D? And C's. I said, yeah, Ricky says those are really, really good. And she's like, yeah, no, all right? In fact, your last name is Robinson. Now, now my mother was being a little bit a mom, all right, when she said, now, for Ricky, those are good, all right? For, but for you, you're my child, and I'm kind of, I'm going to hold you to a little higher standard. Well, this morning, as we're in this untoxic series, I, I, I want to I kind of channel my mom a little bit for you, okay? I, I want to, like, like, hold us to a little higher standard. Uh, because I think that, that there are some of us in the life of the church who have, who, who have quite honestly been settling. <laughs> We've kind of been settling for, for you know, I, I've asked Jesus into my life, and and, and he forgave me of my sins, and now I'm just kind of, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm just kind of making it. And, and, you know, as long as I kind of get by, I'll be all right. And, uh, and I just need you to know, you were made for more than that. Uh, you are, you're chosen by God. Yeah, I, I, I understand that, that life's hard. I understand that there are tough days. But I also understand that when, when you asked Jesus into your life, it wasn't just something that you did so that you could miss hell. You, you, you asked Jesus into your life so that you could be who you were made to be, so that you could be who you were created to be. And, and in the process, he begins to do something in your life. And, and as, as we're looking at what it means to be the people of God in the kingdom of God in this generation, it's imperative upon us that we not settle, that we actually understand what it is that God wants to do in us, that he's chosen us to, to be his representatives here in our world, in your neighborhood, at your job, in your school, in your family, to be the person that you were created to be and gifted to be. And right now, we're living in a world where there's a whole lot of animosity. There's a whole lot of anger. There's a whole lot of backbiting and, and people 
cutting and undercutting each other. And what, what I want you to know is that you were made for more than that. You were made to, to be a person of worth, but also a person who encourages worth. You were made to be a person who's redeemed, but, but also a person who shares that redemption. You, you, were, you were made to be a person who reflects the image of God in such a way that people, when they see you and they live around you and they interface with you, they, they live around and they interface with Jesus himself. Uh, maybe you've noticed it lately, but, but in the face of all of this animosity and the polarization, there, there's been a campaign going on. It's called Be Kind. If, y'all, if nothing else, be kind. All right? can, can I tell you something? I, I've been thinking about this and, and, and studying God's Word a little bit, and, and, and I've come to a conclusion. It might, it might not set well with some of you, but I, but I think it's true. You see, I, I don't think you can be kind if you don't know Jesus. I don't think you can be kind if you just accept Jesus and then settle. <laughs> I don't think it's possible for you to be kind one to another unless someone has been kind to you. I don't think it's possible for you to to actually impact the world unless you've been impacted. And so this morning, I want to take us into this letter of Colossians, this, this letter that Paul wrote to a group of people he had never even met to try to encourage them against a heresy that was going on in their world. And, and in the process, he, he makes a, a, a statement to them. It, it's in Colossians chapter 3 uh, at, at verse, verse 12. Listen as I read for you. It's just, it's just a couple of verses, but we're going we're gonna to kind of look at it pretty intensely this morning. Here's the first part. He's already been telling them, we talked last week, about what it means to leave behind the bad things in your life. And what it means to, to, to step into a place where Christ is all and in all. And, and we're reconciled to God through Jesus and we're reconciling to each other. And in the midst of that, after he's, after he's delineated all the things that, that couldn't be a part of the reconciled life, suddenly he gives us this short little picture into what it looks like to live into your potential, to live into your world as you were created to live. Listen, from Colossians chapter three, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, what Paul's talking about here is he he says, listen, I want you to put on, I want you to put on Christ. I want you to put on the virtues of Christ. He lists five virtues there. Putting on is the interesting word in this passage when you begin delving into it. Because for most of us, putting on, it means that we're going to take something and place it on ourselves. And, and, and like sometimes like little children who are playing in their parents' clothes, 
we look at who God wants us to be, and, and that's kind of what we look like. We're like, man, I, I, I could never be patient. I, I could never have meekness. I, I could never be a reconciler. And, and so we have this mental image that, that we're just like little children walking around in our parents' shoes or, or walking around in our parents' clothes. When, when I was a kid, we used, we, my cousins and I got into a trunk at my grandmother's house in eastern Kentucky. <laughs> And uh, it had all these old clothes in it from my uncle who had been in World War II. A lot of his, his old uniform from the Marines. And so my cousins and I got that, that, that uniform out and, and man, we were putting it on and then it, it didn't fit at all. And we just kind of, you know, walk around in it and pretend that we're, see, I'm not talking about pretending. Today, what I want you to hear is I'm not asking you to pretend to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not asking you to pretend to be kind. I'm not asking you to, to, to step up and, and, and say, you know what, I'm going to try harder to be kind and to be a, a good person. No, what I'm asking you to do is to lay everything down and put on Jesus Christ. And by put on, that, that word that's translated in the phrase put on actually means become a part of, become part, part of what it means to be a Christ. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying to you is if we're going to make a difference in this world, if we're going to bring health into the ill health of the world, if we're going to bring a sense of wholeness into the toxicity of the world around us, if we're going to be peacemakers, if we're going to be people who help others find meaning in life and live the way they were created to live, then it's not enough for us just to put on some idealism or to put on some kind of dream that we think we have. No, what we've got to do is we've got to literally lay down everything that's negative about ourselves and allow Christ to come in and begin a process. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're going to be perfect automatically. I'm not saying that you're going to wake up one morning and suddenly have all the answers. But what I'm saying to you is that if you put on Christ, if you come to that place in your relationship with him where you're trusting him to, to not just take away the bad stuff in your life, but to give you, to add to you the things that he really wants for you, then that's how you become a person who encourages other people. You see, flattery doesn't really encourage. People who just walk in and say good things about you, they, they don't really, really encourage you. I mean, they say nice things and it's nice to hear, okay? But you've got to know some of the most toxic people I know started out telling me just how wonderful I was. And then when I didn't do what they wanted to do, when, the, when I didn't meet their expectations, suddenly they turned on me like immediately. And they've done the same to you. You've, you've discovered toxic people in your life. People who tell you wonderful things when they first meet you. But then when you don't do what they want you to do, they suddenly become angry and vicious and downright mean. And so I'm not asking you to become a flatterer. I'm asking you to become an encourager. And there's a huge difference. That's why I told you I, I want to channel my mother and kind of challenge you this morning to step into who you really are. To step into the way Jesus made you. To step into the design that he has for your life. And, and so Paul, when he's talking to these people in Colossae, he does that for them. He says, look, I want you to put on Christ 
And then he begins to list these five virtues. Now, here's what these five virtues do. They monitor your heart. See, encouraging people are always willing to monitor their heart. They're always willing to check their motives. They're always willing to, to look at themselves, not, not in despair, not, not in constant criticism, but, but an, honest, an honest look of integrity to say, is this really who I am? Am I really this kind of person? It, it's like uh, several years ago, a, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine was having some heart issues. And uh, they couldn't figure out what was going on. Their heart was jumping in and out of rhythm and all kinds of things. And so what they did was they, they sent them home. Maybe some of you have had this. They sent them home with a heart monitor. And, and so they, they plugged this thing. And, and it was kind of interesting because they like put the thing in there. It looked like a transistor radio or an iPhone or something just in their pocket. And they put it in and, and they came home with that. With that and, and they wore the heart monitor. And here was the interesting piece. The heart monitor was hooked up electronically to the hospital, to the professionals, to the people who knew how to read what was going on. And they monitored their heart for a week in order to see what was causing the problems. What I'm asking you to do this morning is to consider the possibility of letting the Holy Spirit of God monitor your heart. To take you from being someone who, who, is, who is not healthy to someone who is healthy. To take you from someone who is just following Jesus to get away from the bad into someone who is following Jesus in order to be who you were created to be. And, and here's, here's what I know. Some things I think, some things I know. This is what I know. In order to put on Christ, you have to live into the fact that he has chosen you and that he wants you to be holy and that he loves you. He is, you are his beloved. And when you do that, he monitors your heart with these virtues. Look at the scripture again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Paul lines out these five virtues to monitor our hearts, to do a check and say, you know what, am I really compassionate? Do I really care about the other person or are they just somebody I'm using to get my way or to get what I want? But do I really care about that, that person who's broken? Do I really care about that person who's hungry? Do I, do I really care about that person who's been wounded? And uh, do, I really, do I really have a heart marked by compassion? Or... Do I really have kindness? Now, again, I told you earlier, you, you can't be kind just out of your own resources. None of these things, these five virtues, they don't happen just because you make a list and say, today I'm gonna be compassionate. Today I'm gonna be kind. Today I'm gonna be a person of humility. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be marked by meekness. I'm, I'm gonna be a person with patience. Do you ever, I mean, patience? I, and somebody asked me one time, I said, Pastor, do you have patience? No, I don't have patience. Patience is a virtue with which I have never been blessed my entire life. I mean, all you got to do is follow me to the mall or to the grocery store or somewhere where they have those automatic doors. I run into those things. They don't open fast enough. I've never been patient in my entire life. But Jesus is. And when he's patient with me, 
suddenly I, I end up being patient with other people. When I know how much he cares about me, suddenly I, I begin to care more about other people. When I realized that, that Jesus had all the power in the universe, he made the universe, he spoke the world into being, and yet he chose to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, to live as a carpenter's son, to walk everywhere, to rub shoulders with wealthy and poor. When I, when I realized the humility Jesus, the meekness of Jesus, that, that sense of not, not, not weakness, but, but meekness, a balance. When I begin to see these five virtues as being the virtues of Jesus and then hear Paul asking the church in Colossae and asking you and me to be people who put on Christ. To understand that in Jesus Christ, when we find forgiveness of our sin, we are literally not just born again, but we're born again to grow. We're born again to, to become the people we were made to be. We're given a fresh start. We're given an opportunity for God to shape us and to make us people who are marked by those five virtues. That's what it means to monitor your heart. In 2021, 2022, coming out of a pandemic, living in the 21st century, it's important to know your heart. I preached a funeral this week for the oldest person I've ever preached a funeral for. She was 105. And she lived, her family took care of her. She never lived in a nursing home. Her kids cared for her. And um, just a few days before she passed away, she was praying with her daughter and her daughter slipped out a video camera and took a, prayer, a, a, a video of this prayer and they played it at the funeral. And, and I have to tell you, there are some people who when they pray, you're thinking they gotta remind Jesus, okay? Hey, Jesus, who, when this lady prayed, it was like Jesus was like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm listening to that prayer. It's like, there wasn't any introduction needed at all, man. When she went into the presence of God and she began praying for her kids and her grandkids and, and all of that, and I'm telling you right now, it was one of the sweetest, most beautiful moments because I'm sitting in the room with a room full of her family and friends and they're listening to her pray for them. You see, when, when you begin to be a person who's constantly monitoring your heart, not out of some insecurity, not out of some phobia, but, but, but out of a sense of, you know what, I, I really do want to be who Jesus made me to be. Then, then suddenly, the toxicity level in your life begins to go down. And you begin to be the person who brings health into ill health. Because you see, encouraging people are not only living into those virtues and monitoring their heart, but, but encouraging people, they are also people who bring healing to relationships with forgiveness. You see, they're, they're able to forgive. One of the things when, when you have those five virtues going on in your heart is it begins to shape your heart into the heart of Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus did? I mean, in the one, I mean, multiple times where in his life, Jesus had to forgive people. Multiple times, Jesus was, was misused and misrepresented and misinterpreted. M many, many times. 
And yet, do you remember at the, at the pivotal moment when he's hanging on a cross, dying for you and me and the sins of the entire world? People are mocking him, they're spitting on him, they're, they're, they're jeering at him, they're making fun of him, and they're doing all that. And you remember, you remember what Jesus prayed for those people at that moment? It wasn't a prayer of God, give them what they deserve. No. God, don't they know who I am? Uh-uh. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. You see, when, when you're marked by the virtues of Christ, being kind out of your humanness isn't enough because being kind doesn't take you to the place where you can forgive people who have despitefully used you. See, sometimes we, we, we can forgive somebody if we think that, well, you know, they really didn't mean it. They, no, when they mean it, Jesus says, forgive them. I have two sons. They're men now. When they were little boys, my mother, my, their mother and I did the, the unthinkable thing to them, okay? We made them share a room. I mean, our house had plenty of rooms. They could have each had their own room. They'd all the time say, well, we could have that room over there. I'm like, no, 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 you guys in the same room. Why? Because you're gonna learn how to live with each other. I was a horrible father. And there were times when we forced those two, particularly as they were in that middle school, early adolescent time frame, when they just didn't like each other at all. I'd come into that room sometime. One time I walked in, and this is not an exaggeration. One of them had taken masking tape and had taped off their portion of the room. Forgetting the fact that they both shared a closet. They had, and, and I said, well, how's he going to get his stuff out of the closet? So he went and pulled the tape up and gave him like this much room to get his stuff out of the closet. I remember, I remember thinking to myself, okay, this, this, is, this is doing exactly what I wanted it to do. <laughs> This is teaching them how to get along with each other. And they got to go. And so in that time frame, we would say something like this. Now, you need to apologize to your brother for what you just did, okay? And parents, have y'all ever gotten this one? You'd say, apologize, sorry. Sorry. I said, no, no, that's, that's not it, guys. What I need you to do, we have a new rule in the house. It's no longer enough for you to say, sorry. You have to say, I am sorry because I broke your watch. <laughs> or I am sorry because I, whatever it was. You see, forgiveness is tied to repentance. Can, can, I, can I tell you something? You can't repent for what you don't know about. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so important in the work of the church. It's the Holy Spirit's job. By the way, not my job as the pastor to tell you where you sinned. My job as the pastor is to tell you about the person who can forgive your sins. My job as the, as the communicator of the good news, the gospel, is to tell you that you can be whole again. It's the Holy Spirit's job, according to Jesus in John chapter 16, 15, 16, in that time frame where he lays out the role of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you know what? He's coming to convict you of your sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you. 
And the Holy Spirit will convict you when you are so committed to Jesus Christ, when you're willing to say, hey, you know what? Here I am. I'm an open book. Convict me. And when he does, he will not convict you in generalizations. He will convict you in specifics. And so your forgiveness, your, your, I mean, Jesus on the cross, remember what he did? He didn't say, God, forgive them. They're just bad people. No, he said, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing right now. So forgive them for spitting on me. Forgive them for, for jeering at me. Forgive them for mocking me. They don't know what they're doing. I get it, but I'm gonna die for them anyway. You see, if we wanna be encouraging people, if we wanna bring health into ill health, if we wanna bring a sense of normalcy to the toxicity of the world we're living in right now, then we've gotta be people who put on Christ and allow Christ to begin to shape those virtues in us to the point that we can heal relationships by forgiving and being forgiven because Jesus died to forgive you and to forgive me. And that's why he asked us to forgive. See, that's when you'll be able to forgive. That's when you'll be able to be kind. That's when you'll be able to make a difference. It's when you understand exactly what Jesus did for you. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He, he just kind of keeps on, keeps on opening the door so that we can see that putting on Christ, becoming a person marked by those same virtues and values, discovering the forgiveness that we've received so we can be people who heal relationships with forgiveness even when the person did mean it, even when they were trying. My, my mother... This is, this is a Peggy sermon, I guess. My mother used to say it this way. You're not paranoid if they really are after you. And there are some people, friends, who are after you. There are some people who don't want you to live for Jesus. There are some people who don't want the church to tell the world that they can find wholeness, that they can find forgiveness, that they can find health. There are some people who, who just, they really, don't, they, they really are after the church. The number one person that way is this guy called Satan. And, and what I want you to know is he's already defeated. He cannot control your life unless you let him control your life. And that's why Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, when you put on as chosen and holy and beloved people these virtues and, and, and you bear with one another. Did you hear that? Bear with one another. That's the hardest thing in the world for Christian people to do is to bear with people, to be patient with them, to give them time. And, and what, what he says is, listen, bear with them so that you can forgive them for the specifics and then, and then you're gonna discover what is, what is indescribable anywhere else. Because bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other because the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. He takes it and then he he, he takes it one more step and he says, look, encouraging people who monitor their hearts with these virtues, encouraging people who live 
in, in such a way that they can forgive and heal relationships. Those same encouraging people live with an attitude of love. They live with an attitude of love. That, that's huge. It was Zig Ziglar who was from Yazoo City, Mississippi, that I first heard in a minister's conference several decades ago make a statement that has shaped my life in many ways. He said this, it is your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude in life. It is your attitude, how you look at the world, how you perceive what's going on around you. Not, not your aptitude, not your abilities, not your skill set. No, no, the, the, you, everybody's got skills, but it's your attitude about people. It's your attitude about the world. It's your attitude about your skills. It's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude, what you're able to do with your life. The way the Apostle Paul put it was this, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all this, above the virtues, above the forgiveness, if you will put on love as the attitude of your life, then that is what takes you to the place where it binds everything together. And get this, it binds it in harmony. Do you know what harmony is? There are musicians in this place. I know you know what harmony is. See, harmony is that place where, where different notes come together to make a unique sound. Melody is just all of us singing the same note. But it's harmony that adds the depth. It's, it's harmony that adds the, a newness, a freshness to it. Yeah, it's a bunch of people singing melodies, fine. But when those people learn how to sing harmony, it changes everything. And what Paul's telling the church in Colossae, what, what I believe Jesus is telling the church in the 21st century, is if we really want to be reconciling people, if we really want to bring health to the ill health of the world, if we really want to be untoxic instead of toxic like the world thinks we are, then, then we've got to become people who let love teach us the harmony of how God wants to blend us all together. A, a few years ago, there was a, a song that kind of became very popular in the church world. Um, it, it, its title is called Come to the Altar. Maybe you will remember it. We're going to sing it here in just a minute. What, what, it, what it does is it, it talks about what it means to come into the presence of God. And I'll be honest with you, an, an altar, yeah, the, that's what these rails are. For those of you that are not from churches that have a tradition of having an altar at the front of the, of the room or in the room, there's a, that, that's what these are. I remember a, a good friend of mine several years back who had been raised Catholic. He started coming to our church, and, and one day in a conversation, he said, Pastor, I just, I got to know, when people go down to that wooden rail, what's going on down there? And I said, well, I just want to explain to you. 
that that, that wooden rail is just a symbol. It, it's a place. It's a sacred place. A place where I can be honest with God. A place where I can humble myself enough to kneel and I can say to him, God, you take control of my life. But you know what? There are altars beyond the wooden rails in worship centers. The most important altar is the altar of your heart. And what an altar really is, is exactly what I said to him. It's that place where you say to God, God, you're in charge of everything. I'm, I'm not gonna take charge of it anymore other than to just give it to you and then I'm gonna let you shape me into who you made me to be. You're gonna teach me these virtues. You're gonna monitor my heart. You're gonna show me how to forgive people. You're, you're gonna show me how to love in a way that creates harmony. And so this morning, what I wanna invite you to do is to take the first step toward being a an authentic, encouraging person. And that doesn't mean that you come and say something to somebody else or compliment them or flatter them. No, no, here's, here's what it means. It means you take the step toward becoming who you were made to be. And so whether you're with us on campus or online or later this week on demand, wherever you are this morning, I invite you to find an altar, to find a place in your heart, in your life, where you can say to God, hey God, you're in control. I wanna be who you made me to be. For those of you on campus, if while we're singing you wanna use these altars, these wooden rails, you're welcome to do that. But wherever you are, I invite you, even if you decide just, you know what, I'm just gonna stay at my chair or I'm gonna turn and kneel at my chair. Wherever you are, however you need to do it, I wanna ask you to consider becoming an encouraging person by becoming a person who lets Jesus be in charge of everything in your life because you are chosen and you're beloved and he's making you holy.